it's as we are going. So in, in the various uh, 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 opportunities, compartments of life, it's in all of life that we are, we are sharing forth the presence of Christ, the Word of Christ, as Christ is a fragrance uh, of life to some and the fragrance of death to others, that we bear witness to learning Christ in Word and deed. And so there is no sphere that is only limited for making disciples. It's all of Christ and it's all of life. And then last week, my heart was blessed personally here as we continued on this topic and did, uh, and now are, are building on, on that foundation here of a part two here of, of, of come and see. And we've uh, put this diagram out to help us understand that, that we, uh, disciple making is helping uh, an individual through the Word of God in dependence on the Spirit of God in prayer here. Uh, we're helping individuals move one step to the right. That we are helping individuals uh, see Jesus Christ, and and we are we are breaking down uh, the, the 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 hindrances to the gospel and sharing this truth. And and uh, there might be many ways to do that. One way is apologetics, uh, where someone might be way on the far uh, side over here, and, and there's some objections they have in their mind, and 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 the truth of of God's word, and the truth of history, and the truth of His creation can bear witness that His word is true. And, and so that might be one starting step. Uh, but there are many ways uh, that we, 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 can, we can soften the soil, we can, we can uh, share the seeds of the Word of God, and we can ask God uh, uh, to, to bring the rain uh, to help that seed grow that's planted. Because at the end, we want to be able, as Paul says, on that right side, be able to present people complete in Christ to God. As Paul says in the book of Colossians. And so, last week, we looked at the first stage of Jesus' disciple-making here. Where Jesus in John 1 says, what are you seeking? And He invites them to come and see. To behold the Lamb of God. Uh, that, 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 that period of time that, that Bert shared with us here in John 1 was a period of about uh, 4 to 12 months with Jesus here in this come and see step, step, this come and see stage in John 1. Jesus is inviting them to see Jesus in His ordinary life. Uh, he's not asking for full commitment there, but He's inviting them to come in, to observe, to come and be part of, uh, of His kingdom. And He has an agenda. He has an agenda. He's going to build His kingdom through them. Uh, he's going to gather in, he want, but He's inviting them to gather information, to observe, to see Jesus in real life, to see His person, His nature, His ministry. And so, He's introducing them to Himself to meet with. His passion. His reality. He was real. And this is how the kingdom of, uh, of, of God grows, doesn't it? When Christ is alive in you, you are a signpost to say, come and see. Come and see. You invite others uh, uh, to, to see the reality of God in your life. You notice uh, the curious. You, you live in such a way that your life is marked by the hope in you. Your conversations about the greatness of Christ, your, your, your beauty, the beauty of Jesus, His rest He offers, His power for change in your life by His grace. Um, that's inviting people to, to, to come and see. And you, you're in a habit of prayer for harvest and, and, and God's divine account encounters that He has on His calendar for you that day. Your, your, your agenda is submitted to God's agenda here and you, you have a radar that is set to alert, uh, to alert of people who, who, who seem to show interest so you can in- introduce them to the realities of Christ in your life. 
and you're leveraging an ordinary and local means of life to engage with the loss. Especially hospitality as the Lord Jesus Christ did. In fact, the book of Luke um, uh, that we preached through a few years ago, over and over it seems in the story of Jesus, Jesus is either going to sit down to eat with somebody, He's eating with somebody, or He's on His way back from eating with somebody. And hospitality is, is such a huge part here of our lives uh, saying, come and see Jesus in real life. Come and see Jesus. Hospitality welcomes others and invites others with no strings attached. Hospitality simply loves and serves people, invites them to come and see the wonder of Christ in you and your family. The hope of glory as you serve Him in ministry. And so this period of four to six months here, Jesus is inviting them to come and see. You see, Jesus isn't picking green fruit here. Jesus is, is not producing fast food. Jesus wants them to ponder Him. For a little bit. To soak in as to who He is. Now, we want immediate results. That's our nature, and especially here in America, the U.S., we want results instantly. That's not necessarily the normal way of the kingdom of God, is it? Uh, How many of you were instant result in salvation? A few of you, but you're probably the exception, right? The Lord worked on you over time, didn't He? Uh, and we're to be obedient, we're to be faithful, and we're to follow Jesus in this example. If Jesus is the master disciple maker, then we would be wise to look at how He made disciples here in this process. So come and see is inviting people to, to taste of Christ, to spread Him. And when we're spreading Him in all His fullness of glory on the table before them and saying, as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And that's what we went through with Birch, as he spoke in John chapter 1, by the way, be in prayer for them. They are uh, leaving Paris today to head to the Republic of Georgia here and uh, see the Word of God multiply in the languages there. So be in prayer for them as they labor uh, and that work. But friends, creating a thirst takes time and effort, doesn't it? And, and, and just some application out of that first message here. Brainstorm ways that you can create time and space to invite people, to build relationships with people, to explore the person of Jesus. I find many times uh, we might be actually more willing to share the message of Jesus, but not willing to share our lives. And Jesus wants both. Because our lives are an apologetic for the gospel, aren't they? Especially the community life of people together in Christ. They bear witness to the reality here. So share the message of Jesus Christ, but don't put up walls about your life. Don't put up walls. Make them thirsty. Be salt and light. Make them thirsty for who Jesus is here. And by the way, that does not mean be perfect. It doesn't mean be perfect. Because part of the way we show the glory of Christ is in our failures, we go to Christ. In our trials, we go to Christ. So be real. Be real. Be real. But brainstorm ways you can create time and space to invite people. Explore the person of Jesus. Come and see is, is the invitation to look into his person, to investigate uh, your curiosity, get answers to the questions of what you're seeking in the person of Christ. Jesus says, What are you seeking? And John 1 and he says, Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. In four to six months, he does this here. Get answers to the questions of what you're seeking in the person of Christ. People want to know that it's real. That it's real. That it's not just words. That it's authentic. 
And this takes a period of time, and it's a process. And so as you are inviting people to come and see, you are moving to invite them to come and follow Jesus, like we'll see in Mark chapter 1 today. So what is the Spirit telling you? And what are you obeying about what the Spirit is telling you here? Look for God is at work. Look, look at the places where God is at work. Jesus is my Father. is always working. And join in His work as a co-worker. And He will use you. He will use you. What are you seeking? What are you looking for in life? What are you wanting? What are you thinking? What are you believing? What are you trusting in? That's the things we need to be on alert here for, for the unbelievers as we engage and evangelize. Eventually it's going to come to decision, isn't it? Become decisive. When you come and act of the will, I need Jesus. I need to follow Jesus. I need to put my life in His plan. I need His forgiveness for sins. But we see in John 1, come and see. Come and see. And let that simmer. Let that simmer. Don't be scared of that simmering here. We can trust the Lord to do His work as we are faithful in what He's called us to do here in this invitation part of come and see. So this come and see may have taken as long as 11 months, and it takes those who, who stuck around to come and see to a greater commitment. And Jesus uh, uh, teaches further. He models His teaching. He grounds them in the absolutes of Scripture, the priority of prayer, the need of Christian community, the work of the ministry, when He says, come and follow Me. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Come and follow Me. This is the work after engaging and evangelizing. This is the work of establishing. This is the work of establishing. This this morning, uh, I'd like us to look at uh, the passage that um, Brother Paul read, and we're specifically going to look narrow it down to verses 16 through 20. 16 through 20. Notice what it says in verse 16. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Um, first, I want us to see this morning the commander here. The commander. Mark's very succinct. He just takes the highlights and he puts them out there. And you'll notice four times as Paul read, you'll notice the word immediately or straightway. There's a reason Mark's doing that. He wants us to see, here's Jesus. And here is, here is a response to Jesus that is, that is uh, uh, immediate. There's, there's no delay here. Um, and the reason he wants us to see that is because of how he has already introduced Jesus in the book of Mark. Jesus is not anybody here. He's not just anybody. Jesus, in verse 1, is the Son of God. The Son of God. When the Caesars of Rome would record their history, they would have at the top of their history, the very first line, the beginning of the good news of Caesar so-and-so, a Son of God. They believe they were the gods. But we have the true God in chapter 1, verse 1. This commander here is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who, 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 who brings the good news. He's the Son of God, the Eternal One. And we were able to gaze into His glory a little bit in John 1 last week um, with birth. But notice in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. He is Lord. He is Master. He is not just anybody. He, this is the Commander, the Son of God, the Lord. So much so that John will say in verse 7, There comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He's, he's saying here that, that I am not worthy to even tie his shoe. John was the one who stood out here and says, 
Behold the Lamb of God, and he points to Jesus. He's a big signpost to Jesus. And he says, I'm not even able to untie his shoe. That's how special this person is. He's not just anybody. And then we see in verses 9-11, through 11, where he says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You can kind of picture this scene like the coronation. The coronation of a king. He's being crowned here as king. Now that, that, that crown's eventually going to have to go the way of suffering through the cross in order to receive the glory of that crown. But here he's being recognized as this is the prince. This is the king who's been promised. The son of David. He's, he's coronated. He's anointed here. He is christened as the one in whom the, 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 the heart of God has delighted in for all eternity. So he's... Special here. He is unique. Uh, he is the Son of God. He is the Lord. He is not someone who we'd even be worthy to tie his shoe. He's the inaugurated king. But notice what verses 12 and 13 say. Immediately the Spirit drives into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. Tempted of Satan. Here is the one who, though he is God, he is fully man. And he's subject to the same uh, uh, opportunities of suffering we are. And he's tempted there in the wilderness by uh, the evil one himself, Satan. And he proves to be the perfect man. Under extreme difficulty and testing. He, He proves to be the Son of God who does not fail like Adam failed. Like Israel failed in the wilderness. He's perfect. He's righteous. And he stands firm uh, under that testing. And then look at verse 14 and 15 that Paul read. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came to the Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Mark's saying the king is here. He's bringing good news of his kingdom. He's saying turn to it and rest in it. So Jesus here is the commander. And he is walking by the Sea of Galilee in verse 16. And he has his eyes on two men. Now remember, these aren't two men that he's all of a sudden seeing for the first time. They had spent uh, between four and twelve months with Jesus in the come and see passage in John chapter 1. He sees them. And they're fishing. And later on, he sees uh, in verse 19, James and John, his brother, who are also fishing. They're, They're fixing their nets. So this is the commander here. And he's walking on the seashore here. And secondly, I'd like you to notice the call. This wasn't anybody. This was the commander. But look at his call. It was early morning. Jesus is walking along close to the edge of the water. The Sea of Galilee had a, had a prominent place in Jesus' ministry. It's really not a sea as far as salt water. It's an inland lake. It's about 12.5 miles long and 7.5 miles wide. It's warm water. It's about 680 feet below sea level. And Jesus is walking along the shore. There's a vibrant fishing uh, uh, industry on, in that part of Galilee. And of course, there he sees some of the people he's already invited to come and see. And he says in verse 16, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Casting a net. This is, these, were, these were circular nets here. They had uh, weights on the edges of it. And they would cast them out from the shore if they didn't have a boat. 
And they would cast it out from the shore and, and, and try to catch the fish here. And the, the fishermen would throw the net over his shoulder. And he would stand on the shore. Or if he was in a boat, in a, in, a, in a boat, and it would spread out in a circle as it fell into the water. And the weights caused it to sink rapidly. And then it was had a cord attached to it. And as they pulled it up, it would cinch tight there and, um, uh, and, and, and pulled back. Um, and so that's what he sees uh, Andrew and, and, and Simon, uh, 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 his brother, doing. And notice it says in verse 16, for they were fishers. So this call is to people who in that day and age weren't looked up on as the upper echelon of society. It's like he goes down to, to the harbor there. He goes down to the pier. And he sees these guys who, who, are, who are getting their lobster traps ready. Okay, And he says in verse 17, Jesus said to them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Come ye after me. This is, this, is, this is a majestic invitation. Now remember, he's the commander. He's described in chapter 1 as this glorious one, this king who is victorious even in his humanity in, in, in temptations and trials. And he says, come ye after me. He says, join me as I continue on. And that... that, that uh, it sounds like an invitation here, but it's actually a command. It's an imperative. You come after me. You come and follow me. Come and follow me. And um, uh, it, the, the idea is to come after, to walk behind. Notice it's a personal invitation. He's inviting them. He says, join me to live and work together. It's the idea of relationship, closeness of fellowship, friendship. A friendship that will, that will go through challenges and blessings and trials and victory. And really He's telling them, leave and cleave. He's telling them uh, that there is a long-term uh, uh, relationship that I want with you here. And He says, uh, I, I, so much so that He wants Himself to be formed in them. And so look at the call there. He saw Simon and Andrew's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. He's saying, Come after me. Let me be at the controls here. Walk in the grace of Jesus of who I am after me. But you're going to have to be transient. You're going to have to leave something to come to me. You can't have it both ways here. And friends, when we allow the person of Jesus to be formed in us, God has given us the reason for others to follow. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so if Jesus is being formed in you, then you have a, you have a huge reason right there to invite others to follow Jesus along with you. And notice here that because it's the idea of a command, an imperative, that it, it, it's expected immediate obe- obedience. Immediate obedience. Um, sometimes we, we don't think of the, the call to the gospel here as a command, but it is. It is a command. When Jesus says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel, He's not saying, you know, it would really be nice if you repent and believe the gospel. It's a command. And if we think that, how could God command people to be saved? Well, Acts 17 tells us that He commands all men to repent. And the reason is, is because it is good. Because He is good. 
He says, return to me, come to me. Why? Because he is the one who is, who is full of all goodness and he desires to share the goodness of who he is and to rescue them from the destruction where they're going. And so he's expecting uh, to them to follow him. He expects immediate obe- obedience. And so the, we know the story, but the, the question's kind of hanging in the air. What are they going to do? Right? Are they going to make the decision to commit or not? What are they going to do? But before we get there, notice what else he says. And sometimes we miss this in verse 17. Not only come and follow me, but he tells them the goal. He tells them what he's trying to do. Look what he says. And I will make you to become fishers of men. I will make you. I will make you. You know that tells us that what Jesus calls us to do He will also provide the grace to do it. He says, I will make you. Jesus does the work as you cooperate with Him. Remember what He... And this is something that we see all through the Bible. Remember when He called Abraham? And He says, get out of your country. And what does He say? Because I'm going to make of you a great nation. Right? And when we are willing and we uh, are willing to cooperate... And put ourselves in, in, uh, in, in, in the position here to say, yes, Lord, and surrender. And say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Be assured that His grace is sufficient to do that. His grace is sufficient. He will hold you fast. He will provide the grace to do it here. Um, he, 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 notice, He doesn't say, follow you and you guys, you guys make yourselves fishers of men. He doesn't say that. Because that would be like, Taking a baby and throwing them in the pool and saying, swim, right? My dad did that to me. My dad took me when I was a few months old and threw me in the water in a pool to swim because he had heard somewhere that babies instinctively know how to doggy paddle. Apparently I did do that and come to the surface and it was really surprising to my mom and my dad said, see, I told you so. But what a, that was a cruel thing. And I'll tell him that today. You don't just throw a baby in the water and say, swim, right? Well, Jesus isn't just going to throw them in the water and say, okay, you guys be fishers of men. He says, I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, they didn't know what that process was going to be like, did they? There was a lot of learning that went along with that here. But He promises He's going to train them. He doesn't hand them a, a, a piece of paper with notes and lots of blanks in it. Right? He says, I'm going to train you. And He gives them live, in color, on-the-job training. And He tells them the goal. He doesn't tell them what that process is going to look like yet, but He tells them the goal of what they're going to be. And friends, Jesus tells us what we can be. And the journey is learning what that looks like along the way here. But Jesus tells us what He can do with us. He doesn't ask them to do the things He hadn't trained them to do. He says, follow Me. uh, Come after Me. And I will make you fishers of men. So He gives them a big vision of what He's going to do. Might say, well, okay, he's just saying that because they're fishermen and he's just trying to be cute here. You guys are fishing for fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And there's a little bit of that. But what he's really doing here is in the Old Testament, the picture of fishing for men is a negative sense. The prophets, and you can look this up in your own concordances uh, with, the, with the term fishing and fishermen, but when you look at what the prophets say about fishing, it's a picture of the end day, the day of the Lord, when God gathers His nets and He harvests those for judgment. But Jesus here is saying, in the Gospel, the good news, you become fishers of men for new creations. You become fishers of men to be reclaimed from judgment into life. 
to move from death to life here. And so uh, that's what he's inviting them to do. He changes this, this picture here with the good news because he wants to make a forever family. He's not just intent on a few people. He wants more and more to come to Jesus Christ. He says, I will make you to become fishers of men. This is the purpose for which He called them. And it is still, brothers and sisters, it is still Christ's central purpose for His followers. And those of you who do not know Christ, He has brought you into relationship here. He's connected you somehow with us here so that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. So you turn to Jesus Christ in faith. So Jesus is asking them to leave their work catching fish so that He'll train them to become fishers of men. Fishers of men. Billy Graham wrote the foreword to one of the classics on looking at how Jesus made disciples called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's sold thousands of copies. But this idea of making fishers of men, Robert Coleman lists eight things that Jesus did in training the disciples. Selection, association, consecration, impartation, demonstration, Delegation, supervision, and reproduction. Now, they didn't know all those steps were going to happen. They didn't know that. But that's what Jesus would do. Come, and I will make you. And that's how he made them. And friends, let's step back a little bit here, with a little bit of of maybe some of the other Bible knowledge that we have, and, and ask ourselves, well, what was the end product here? What did it look like to be fishers of men? And where would we turn and see this? We would see this in the book of Acts, wouldn't we? The book of Acts, where, where this making fishers of men is not some haphazard work here and there, but it is the steady and strategic task of fishing for men with the ultimate result of planting churches. Finding points of contact in new places you see in the book of Acts. Connecting with people, sharing the truth of the Messiah, then strengthening those who believe upon Him. Putting spiritual leaders over them to help them grow. Continue the process of forming Christ in them and reaching their communities and repeating the process. That's what happened at the end, didn't it? With Peter and with Andrew and the others here. And so God's command here, of, I will come, come after me and I will make you fishers of men, is to leave the old life behind. And follow Him in a new life. Come and follow Me. Now what's the result? Verse 18. Immediately they forsook their nets and followed Him. Go down a little bit later in verse 19. And when He had gone a little farther from there, He saw James, the son of Jebedee, and John, his brother, who also in the ship mending nets. And immediately He called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. He says we had gone a little farther here. So here's the first call over here. And he walks along the beach a little further. And down here is, is, uh, is James and John and their father's fishing enterprise here. And he calls them. They're a short distance farther along the shore. But both of these people, the response is immediate. Why? Why did they immediately follow Jesus? The answer to that is last week's sermon. Because they had been with Jesus. They had already been with them. What else could it be as they had seen and observed and understood more of who He was? Notice it says in straightway or immediately. They they accepted that call instantly and completely. Notice it says they forsook their nets. 
This was a definite act, right? It, it terminated their old fishing business. It doesn't, it doesn't mean they, they abandoned their property. I'm sure they made proper arrangements here. But the point is, they couldn't have one foot in both worlds. When Jesus says, follow me, you can't have one foot in both worlds. And mothers today, the best thing you can give your children, the best thing you can give your grandchildren, is an immediate obedience to Jesus. Husbands, fathers, the best gift you can give your wives and the mothers of your children is immediate and instant obedience to what Jesus has said in His Word. There is no greater reward. There is a cooperation here. They followed Him. They associated themselves with Jesus as their accepted leader and teacher. Uh, uh, they, they, they accepted Him as the Messiah and now they are going along with Him in His work. And do you notice that it seems like what Mark is indicating here is a visible picture here of what he has already said in verse 14 and 15. Repent and believe the gospel. Here's a picture of them here. On the one hand, these four fishermen did exactly what Jesus expected people to do when they heard the gospel, right? Repent and believe. When they left their boats and careers, there was a picture of repentance, wasn't it? Uh, uh, repentance is not essentially uh, a matter of ceasing to commit a particular sin. It's to turn away and turn to God. And that's what they did. What a picture here, right? They what? They left their nets and followed Him. What a picture of what it is to, to follow Jesus in the Gospel here. To turn away, to embrace what God's doing wholeheartedly. Did they have it all figured out? Did they know all the doctrines? Did they know what that life would look like? No, they didn't. But they were willing to take all they knew of themselves and all they knew of Jesus and take all they knew of themselves and hand it over to all they knew of Jesus. And that's repentance. That's faith. They believed what God said because they had seen Jesus. Today, Jesus is still commanding you to follow Him. If you're saved, you come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, you're still commanded to follow Him. And He gives His Holy Spirit to make sure you're not comfortable when you're not following Him. And those of you who don't know Jesus, have you thought about Jesus' command to you? That He is beckoning, He is calling you, He is commanding you to follow Him. That He is worthy. And that everything in your hands that you might be holding on tight to, that is an obstacle to, 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 uh, to receive Jesus here, is simply a weight that will weigh you down and in bondage and chains. And all of us, unsaved and saved, have you thought about the cost of following Jesus? Consider the cost. Have you thought about the reward, though, of following Jesus that far outweighs what our hands have refused to let go? Believers, what is the Holy Spirit tapping into your heart today and telling you to leave and follow the King? This passage here isn't telling you to quit your jobs and follow Jesus. This passage here is telling you to, make, to, to see Jesus as supreme. Does not see Jesus as somebody who's merely prominent in my life, but to see Jesus as someone who is preeminent in my life. And there's a difference. To not just be associated with Jesus and add him to my committee, as we talked about on Easter here, but to fire all the other committee members and say, Jesus, you're my Savior. Jesus, you're my Redeemer. So, what is the Spirit tapping into your heart today and telling you to leave and to follow the King?
So it's such a picture of repentance. It's also such a picture of faith. Believe. They had to believe Jesus was who He said He was. They had to turn from and to. They couldn't have one foot headed back to the water and one foot headed to Jesus, right? They, they, couldn't, they, they, they couldn't do that. Um, if we walked into the uh, parking lot uh, here after church and someone says to me, how do I get into in the Portland? One of you smart offs would say, well, you get in your car, right? That's good advice, but that's the start of it, right? That's not the end of it. But you also need to say, start your car and head east on Route 17. Don't go west and turn on Route 1 south because you'll, uh, you'll, there's this place that the devil put there in Wisconsin called Red's Eats. So go east toward Gardner and then get on 95 or 295. All right? And you get more detailed directions to see them through the destination. And so friends, the beginning of sharing the gospel is certainly the information about Jesus Christ, how to get into Him and how to get to Him, what He's provided. But there's so much more because we need to let people know we're telling the gospel to that we're persuading someone to be a disciple of Christ. We're persuading someone to be a disciple of Christ. And so they needed to know too, uh, who they were tur- what they were turning from and who they were turning to. Uh, and so they needed to turn and trust. Turn and trust. They needed to let go of the fears and uncertainties and cast themselves in the hand of a God who is so awesome that we can never exaggerate His power and His love. Uh, if you watch scary movies, you know that the monster's scariest before you actually see it. The movie, right? Building suspense. And where we lived in, in Oregon, um, there is a uh, there's a town called Beaverton, and this was just in the news a few weeks ago. And they even have the police officer's video of what happened. A local woman in Beaverton called the Washington County Sheriff's Office in April to a um, uh, uh, who, who she reported hearing a burglar locked in her bathroom. She saw shadows moving underneath the, the door of the bathroom, the bottom of the door there. And she heard a rustling under the door here. And so she called. They told her, we'll get out of the house and we'll send some officers over, some sheriff, sheriffs over. So they went and, um, and they said they gave several commands to the burglar in the bathroom to come out. And they brought in a canine unit for backup. And finally they, they opened the door. And they had their guns drawn, and they opened the door, and they encountered, encountered a, an automated robot vacuum that was bumping into the door. And they said, we entered the bathroom and saw a very thorough vacuuming job being done by a, by a Roomba vacuum cleaner. So the suspect wasn't taken into custody. However, it's likely to be sentenced to several months of co- continuous domestic servitude. Uh, here. Isn't that, though, somehow... Sometimes how we think of the call of God in our lives, we are so worried. We build up, oh, if this, i got to give this up, i give this up. And how many of you can testify today that the things that you were worried about and that you gave up to the Lord were like that little Roomba? And God's peace and His power in your life was so much better. So much better. They left what was holding them back to pursue a relationship with Jesus. They didn't know everything would happen, but they believed God and they acted. They took all they knew of themselves to turn to all they knew of the Lord. They didn't stand and say, you know what, Jesus, that sounds great. And throw out another line here. Throw out another net here. They didn't stay fishing. When, when, when you and I were kids, we probably played a game called Simon Sets, right? 
And anytime Simon said it, that's what we had to do, right? But if anything else was said, we ignored those. And sometimes we treat the Bible less authoritatively than we do the game Simon says. And everything in the Bible is Jesus says. The commands of Scripture that apply to us, Jesus says. And we can't treat it like we uh, like 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 it's like like it's an option here. And so they cooperated. They turned and trusted. And friends, as we are making disciples, there comes a point after the come and see. There comes a point where we need to make it very clear that they are to come and follow after Jesus. What they do with it is their responsibility, right? We don't change hearts. But they need to know, here you have seen Jesus. Here, hopefully, in my life, you have seen Him lived out. You've seen His gloriousness. You've seen that I have tasted of the Lord and seen that He is gracious. But He commands you to come and follow after Me. He commands you to come and learn of Him. uh, To be able to eventually uh, become fishers of men. So the Gospel is a call to all people. They say that cattle rustling is a, is a major problem in Uganda. And Ugandan army has many attempts where they're trying to re- reunite the cattle that have been stolen with their owners. And the difficulty lies in that culture of proving who's the owner. They don't have brands and it's kind of open range. And um, uh, a reporter from BBC um, saw this process in a village uh, in Uganda. He said that there was an elderly woman who claimed to be the, the farmer of this herd here. And she stood before the herd. And, and they said, well, prove that you're the owner of these. And she called her cows by name. And each cow heard her voice, lifted its head, and followed her. And as far as the Ugandan army was concerned, that was the strong proof of ownership as one could find. And friends, when the Lord Jesus calls, Lord calls, we are to lift our heads and recognize that's the owner's voice. That's the master's voice. That's the farmer's voice. And we are to follow him. Believers, that means into further and further obedience, which includes what we've been talking about, making disciples. Who are the people that you've been praying about that God would have you invest more of your life in and share more of the word of God with? Who are the disciples that he has put in your responsibility? Moms? Probably, if you still have kids at home, that's going to be your major responsibility of making disciples. Uh, older ladies whose kids have grown up, certainly you want to invest in your kids still and your grandkids, but there's also other ladies as well who maybe God has freed you up for some time or some responsibility here to be able to invest in as well. Dads, who are you investing in? Uh, singles, who has God put in your life to, 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 to engage with the gospel to say, come and see and then bring them by God's Spirit to a place where we say, come and follow me. Repent and believe the gospel. I want you to notice one more verse as we close. Look at the end in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they, from the seashore to the city that became the center of their ministry in Galilee, Jesus and these four disciples 
are not now two disciples casting into the sea here, fishing, two disciples working for Dad, but it's they. And the process of come and follow me has begun. You can almost walk, see them walking down the road to Capernaum. Five people, a band, a band of brothers with a commander at their head here, revealing Jesus and the four disciples are now forming one company with a common interest of I will make you fishers of men. Which leads us to next Sunday's sermon. Come and be with me. Come and be with me. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning as we close, I wonder if there's somebody here who would say, you know what, I I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. I have not come to the place where I, I, I still have both feet in the water. And I have not come to the place where I have seen that Jesus Christ has died for my sins and that He is commanding me to repent and believe and follow Him. And today is a day where on the basis of Jesus' work for me and not my own striving, I am going to rest in what He has done and I am going to turn and trust in who He is. I wonder this morning if there's someone here who would indicate that by lifted hand, say today is a day where by God's grace I am making that decision. to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And fellow brothers and sisters, believers this morning, what is it that the Spirit is tapping in your heart today and telling you, you need to drop that and follow the King. Don't hang on to it. Forsake that net and follow Him. Every one of these disciples at the end of their lives, with the possible exception of John, died a martyr's death. Judas, we know, fell away. The others followed Jesus to the end. And every one of them, if we were to bring them up on this stage and say, we need your testimony as witnesses, was it worth it? Every one of them will say, that struggle in life was far outweighed by the eternal weight of glory. He is worthy. Forsake your net and follow him. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the gospel call. We thank you for the call of discipleship. Lord, would you make us faithful as we invite people to come and see and as we command through the authority of Jesus Christ to come after Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.